0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. And get ready to receive a word from God.
1: But we're going to go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We're going to start off here tonight because we are going to be talking about positioned in righteousness. Everybody say positioned in Righteousness. And so we're going to dive deep into this tonight, but 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. And it says that a man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I love how the Amplified reads this one. And it says, All Scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration. It is profitable for instruction, for correction of sin, for correction of error, and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity of God's will, both publicly and privately behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we're going to be talking about in the kingdom of God, there's a position every kingdom citizen has to take. And it first starts in righteousness in that so many people, I mean, Now that we've been here in the South for a little bit, I thought this was a myth that people really didn't say this, but who's ever heard somebody say, well, we're just sorry sinners saved by grace, right? All the time. And you know what? We were a sorry sinner, but we were saved by grace. So there's a difference there that I'm no longer a sorry sinner because of what Christ has already done for me. Now I have a different position that puts me back in right standing with God. And so righteousness is not a religious term. If you were unaware of that, I'm sorry to break your bubble there. It's not a religious term at all. It's actually a government term, and it's used in all sorts of different aspects. But when we go back to the original context that righteousness is put in, we can break it down to really just simply obeying the word of the king. Righteousness is simply obeying the word of king. It's in right alignment with the governing authority. If I go out here and I run every stoplight that I find, there's the weather. It's not coming, I'm telling you. Just I knew that was coming, but it's not coming. But if I go run every stoplight, am I in right alignment with the governing authority? No, because you have either heard or someone has told you, red means stop, right? But you see, we have believers all the time that, Sin means sin, but yet they're constantly running after sin. They're wanting to run after their own agenda, their own feelings, their own lust of the flesh. See, there it is. Boop. We're good. Sorry. There we go. Yep. Tornado warnings cannot affect us. We are completely safe in the name of Jesus, and we are going to carry on. And so there it goes again. See, look at that. I knew it was coming. That's why we prepared you. I, Isaiah chapter 54. This is where we're going to look at. And we're going to look at two different things here. Isaiah 54, 14. It says this. In righteousness, you shall be established. In righteousness, you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. In righteousness, you should be established. So righteousness is not just a a choice that I constantly make. It is a position that we constantly live in. That righteousness is something we can attain now because of what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. We're about to be celebrating Easter, and honestly... We call it the Super Bowl of church. I mean, everybody who doesn't go to church, they show up on Easter and Christmas. That's what they come to do because they recognize that Jesus paid a price on the cross for them. And so now this righteousness is not something that I just, oh, I happen upon it. No, it's a position I choose to stay in constantly. And honestly, if you keep reading on Isaiah 54, we love this chapter You just might not have known that it talks about our position in the very first part. And then if you go to chapter 17, we get this scripture. Or chapter chapter 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their what? Righteousness is from who? Me, says the Lord. It's their position. You see, we all screwed up. We all messed up. We fell into sin when you were first born because we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter three and we'll go there here in a second. But because of the fall of man, we all were entered into the sin nature. We had this sin consciousness about us that we had to have a savior. We needed a redeemer from our own sin nature. But when we look at righteousness, we see that, it's this defining of a state being approved by God. Let me ask you a quick question. Can you be approved by God on your own? No, you cannot. Nobody can. There is nothing that we do. There's no much. We can't. I know people that they feel like they are closest to God they don't go to church, they don't read the Bible, they don't do anything else, but they feel like they are closest to God when they buy stuff for other people. They say, man, I just, I just feel like such a blessing. Well, you are being a blessing, but that doesn't make you righteous because you have finances given to somebody else. If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, then there is no righteousness and right being approved by God outside of Jesus. And so we all have to understand that there's only one way to become righteous, and that's through Jesus. We all got that? Awesome. We are on track tonight. We're doing great. And so, but being established is something way greater than you could ever imagine. So let's put it in this perspective. If you have a mobile home, is that firmly established on that property? No. Key word is it's a mobile home. It has wheels. It can be relocated. Somebody could come over and hook up to your house and take it if they wanted it, honestly. But when you look at these skyscrapers, before they even build their first brick or lay the metal, they first have to dig down deep and set a foundation worthy enough to hold the building they're building that they know that this foundation is so firm, whatever we build upon this will not crumble down. So before they even think about bringing in the windows and the doors and everything else, they're digging and they're setting a foundation that won't be moved. Well, you understand that when Jesus Christ came and he died for us and he wanted us to be established in righteousness, he had to first lay the groundwork. That's why he was buried for three days. But see, Jesus could have been like every other God or prophet that we could imagine. But the difference with Jesus is he said, three days I'll be buried, but on the third day I'll I'll be raised from the dead. Do you know he did not go out and preach that to all the congregations? He preached it to his disciples. He had the intimate, the closest ones to him. He said, You're going to watch and you're going to see. And once you see it, you have an assignment. Now be my witnesses and go tell the rest of the world what I've done. Wasn't anything Jesus was actually doing. He was just living in righteousness himself. He was simply obeying God's voice. And so we see that being established is something that it's being rooted and grounded in the foundations of God, being rooted and grounded in the kingdom of God that we're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by the circumstances around us. When we got rain beating on our door, man, let me give you a testimony of myself. I grew up in the Bible belt of Oklahoma. If you know this sound, woo. You might've lived in the Midwest for a little bit because that's a tornado siren sound. It is ingrained into my memory because I remember as a small boy, anytime I heard that sound, end of the world's coming. We're all about to go meet Jesus. It didn't matter how many times my parents told us we have authority over the weather. We can pray. We can have faith in what God's doing. We all going to meet Jesus. Lord, please forgive me for all my sins. I'm sorry if I disobey my parents. Please, just when I die, I want to see you. All the time, terrified. But then I got the revelation of what my position is in Christ. I realized that, man, there's a new song out. I don't even know the name of it, but it talks about the God. Oh, man, I'm going to butcher this all up. It still talks about how the winds and waves still recognize his name. They're still his God. Everything that's on this earth still recognizes that that he's still God. And it's a great reminder that nothing has changed under God's authority. No matter how dark this thing gets, no matter how bad this corruption and moral decay is happening, nothing's changed with God. And as long as we stay in a position of righteousness, you're going to realize that there is benefits and there's blessings that come to those who are established in God. And so when we go back and we look at Genesis chapter three, this is the fall of man. I mean, Genesis chapter one, God creates heavens and the earth, creates everything that man needs. Genesis two, he forms man from the dust of the earth, breathes life into him, gives him dominion over all the fish of the sea, birds of the air, creatures, all the creeping things that creep on the earth. God has given it to man. It is now man's control over the earth. One chapter later, serpent shows up, Genesis chapter three, verse number one. More cunning than any other beast of the field. So then we get in and we find out Eve disobeys God's word. And I pulled up these verses because I want us to see something really quick. So after Eve eats the fruit and she gives it to Adam and he eats, we see in verse number seven, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called out to Adam and he said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked and have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And so we realize that Adam And his disobedience caused this separation from God's dominion. And we see two things that show up, fear and shame. He no longer was able to stand before the presence of God because sin was in his life. And so we have so many people around us operating in a position of sin and shame. I'm not worthy to go before God. He knows what I've done. He knows what I've been through. He knows the thoughts that I have in my head. I'm not worthy to go to church. If they knew, I mean, my favorite thing people say all the time, man, if I showed up in that place, the walls would fall down. Man, you know what? If you show up in that place and the walls fall down, they should have fallen down a long time ago because that's not what church is about. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about bringing in the lost, the hurting, the dying, and the broken and saying you have purpose and destiny and something way greater than your past. You have a purpose to fulfill for the kingdom of God. Now start walking that way. And it changes the, the whole mentality of what we're dealing with because when Adam and Eve sinned and they disobeyed God's voice and they became unrighteous, it caused them to, number one, have a sin consciousness about themselves. I've messed up. I've done wrong. God knows that I have sinned. God goes to them and asks them, who told you you were naked? Who told you that this is the way? And he starts this whole process. But we also see that with Adam and Eve, because of their sin consciousness, they had a lack of strength. They now had to toil and work for something that was supposed to work for them. They had this awareness of their inabilities. When the serpent said, man, you will be just like God. They were so much like God that he knew, I've got to get you out of that realm. I've got to get you away from the source that you're at, because if I can get you away, I can take over control again. And so he showed them their inabilities. We were afraid. We hid ourselves. And then they also had a lack of authority now. Because of their sin, they all had all these things that they're dealing with now, and because of that sin, they had to be removed. But here's what I love about what God has done for us in the very beginning. And I'm going to show you a secret. Hold on. Nobody tell Pastor Mark. I'm going to borrow one of these carpet squares. Shh, I put them there. It's okay. So I know some people aren't going to be able to see too well, but there's a carpet square in the middle of the floor. So in the kingdom of God, in the original intent, in order to stay righteous, they had to avoid one tree. He said, that sounds like hail, but it's okay. We are all good. Just no hail damage on our vehicles. Thank you, Lord. Amen. But he said, there's one tree of the garden you got to watch out for. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. So then he goes on And Adam and Eve have full control over the whole realm. As long as they don't eat that one tree, they're good. Actually, you know what? I'll go up there. There's a square up there missing. So we have believers in life thinking, man, it's hard to live righteous for God. It's so hard to do the right thing. And their mindset's been twisted. It's been shifted in the wrong direction. That actually, in order to have life and have life to the fullest, it's easy. It's just obeying what God tells us to do. But the moment that we sin, we now become in a box. We've now been cut off from our access. So many times they look at the kingdom of God of, well, if I make right choices, this is where I stay. No, no, no. It's a full access. You have control over everything around us. You have access to the heavenly realm. But the moment we disobey God, we've now been locked up. I no longer can move to my right or to my left because I'm in unrighteousness. So with these people that say, Well, it just feels like it's too hard to live for God. No, you've just been blinded. That it's actually real easy to obey what God's told us to do and follow His will. But when you're in the bondage of sin, you can't move. You're stuck in one place. But the moment we cry out and we say, Jesus, I you are my Lord, I will submit myself to you. I believe that you died on the cross. We're no longer bound to our one position of sin anymore. Now we have free access and we can walk freely around it. You, did you know you can be surrounded with ungodly people and remain in righteousness? I don't, highly, I don't highly encourage it all the time. I tell the youth all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because, you know, bad character and bad company corrupts good morals. So we want to watch who we're around, but we also have this mandate to go out into the lost and go out and be with those who are broken and to show them the love of Christ. And so when we understand that this really, this freedom is way greater than just a small box, it was one tree in the garden. He didn't say, hey, out of all these trees, there's only one you can eat and good luck finding it. No, he said, there's only one tree and I've placed it in the very middle of the garden. Don't eat that tree. And that was it. That was final. So then we go on and we see over here, I love what E.W. Kenyon said. He said, the sense of unworthiness destroys faith. It robs us of our peace of mind and makes in, in, uh ineffectual the moment of earnest and zeal prayer lives. It makes it in, ineffective he said, it robs us of our fellowship and communion with the Father. And we have to understand that when we step out of righteousness and we start doing our own thing, it will rob you of the blessings of your life. When we stand on the sin and we stay connected to the sin, we can't reach back when we need the help. Only with Jesus can we say, Lord, please forgive me. Restore what I've lost. And so we understand that religion was man, it was his way of covering up his sin. That's why Adam and Eve, when they first realized they were naked, what did they do? Did they run to the Father and say, Father, I've sinned, I'm so sorry. No, they immediately went to work saying, what must I do so that way I'm covered? But I love what happened in the end of Genesis chapter 3. Because it says that God didn't just leave them in their mess and send them out with their fig loin coverings. It said he actually sacrificed some animals and put some leather and some, some actual skin around them. He already had to make the blood atonement for their sins. That's why Adam and Eve didn't just die in that day. They lived for another 900 years. They lived for a long, long time, had children, did everything else because God was already making a way for them. But then we realized that because of the sin, God had to have this redemption plan with Jesus. And obviously we've... We've covered that a lot here lately, and we'll cover it more, but God knew what man was missing, and he said, my goal is to reestablish them back to where they need to be at, and so we're going to look at a couple more scriptures, and then we're probably going to wrap it up tonight. I'm right on track. I told them I was not going to go too long, so they better get their lessons done pretty quick over there, so Romans chapter 5. Religion shows us that, you know, we do the work and we want God to accept it. I'm a good person. I make good choices. So God loves me. But kingdom in a real faith mindset knows that God did the work. I've accepted his work for me and that he gets all the credit in the end. That it's nothing I could do on my own initiative. We once were sinners, but we were saved by grace. And so I'm no longer a sorry sinner over here, just still messing up. Grace is literally the empowerment to overcome. So grace, when we talk about God's grace and his favor, it's literally God's ability and power for you to succeed in life, to you to overcome sin that's trying to overcome you. But Romans chapter five, starting in verse number 12, reads this. Therefore, just as one man's sin entered the world, death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned for until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law nevertheless death reigned from adam to moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness and transgressions of adam who is a type of him was to come but the free gift everybody say free gift Is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulting in justification. Verse number 17, this is it. Pay attention right here. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace in the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, therefore, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Therefore, moreover, the law entered into offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. And so we see that because of one man's offense, death reigned for all humanity until Jesus showed up. And then because of Jesus and the one man of obedience, righteousness now has been given access to those who believe. And so now we have to stop comparing ourselves to the old man and saying, well, I'm still dealing with this sin. Why are we comparing ourselves to Adam when Jesus has already showed up? Stop comparing yourself to the old man and stop, start comparing yourself to Jesus, the new man. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what's happened. We have to understand that we are made righteous in Jesus not by our own works, but by his free gift. And so our pursuit of righteousness places us in this right positioning to receive all the rights and authority of the kingdom of God. All blessing, all resources, all privileges, all come to us because of our choice of righteousness. Now you might be like, well, how do we remain in righteousness? Obey God's voice. It doesn't have to be a booming voice like we're hearing with thunder and lightning. It can be as simple as get your heart right, stop watching that show, stop talking that way, stop hanging around those people. It's simple things that we take for granted. I love the song we just sang talking about, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us become more aware of who you are because you have to understand, he's all around us all the time. But are we slowing down enough to stop and say, you know what, I'll I'll take advantage of this time. I read a thing the other day, and I even posted it because it was so good. And I'm guilty of it. I've said this before. But he said, I have a problem with ministers telling them, if you're so busy, at least pray for five minutes. Just spend some time with God. I've said that before, and I apologize for saying that. Because we should never take God and fit him into our busy schedule. We should never be so busy that we have to try to make room for what God wants to do in our life and try to squeeze him in into our little two or three minute devotional. We should be planning around the kingdom of God. Matthew six thirty three, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing things, his way, his will, his operating system. And then all these other things that the Gentiles seek after, they'll be added to you. If you go back and you read about Matthew chapter 6, it deals with the anxiety of life. It goes through so many different scenarios. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Don't Look at the birds of the, of the sky. Look at the lilies of the field. It goes through and it shows us all these things, but then we miss out on the very example he gives us to live a carefree life. It does not say, you know what, good luck, have fun, figure it out on your own. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We good, Chase? Okay, we're good. But then in Romans chapter 14, this is where I'm closing. We'll pray, and then we all get to just hang out for a minute, not unless you want to run through the weather. Romans chapter, actually, can I get the worship team back up? I feel like we need to sing, rest on us again. I think that needs to happen. Can we make that happen? Because we're going to praise in the storm, amen? So Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So everybody stand on up with me. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that, Lord, we are here to be in position and righteousness that it's not about my own agenda, it's not about my own thinking. But Father, right now, everyone under the sound of my voice, we just thank you that you have given us the ultimate sacrifice, that you have forgiven us of our sins, and that Father, that you do not take account for those things that we once did. So right now, I thank you that our minds are clear, that condemnation does not rule over a believer's life, that the things that were of the past are of the past that Jesus has already redeemed us from the curse of the law and that now we are righteous in your sight, that Father, when you look at us, you don't just see our faults and our failures anymore, but Father, you look at us and you see your son Jesus because of the price that he paid for me. So right now, I thank you that in this place, there is no condemnation, there is no shame, there is no guilt, there is no unworthiness. Because, Father, you made us a way back to your throne room. You said, Jesus, here's your assignment. Because of one man's sin, death has reigned. But because of your obedience, we will set free the nations. So right now, under my voice, if you have been dealing with just feelings of condemnation, of unworthiness, like, I can't go before God because of what I'm doing I can't go before the Father. I can't even hardly go to church. I don't have to pray for you. I don't have to lay hands on you. I don't have to do that because God has made a way for you to go to him by yourself. And his name is Jesus. And he said, he is the, the avenue which we seek after. So right now, I just encourage you. Ask the Lord to forgive you say father forgive me of my sins cleanse me from all unrighteousness and it says over in first john 1 9 it says that if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness
0: thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today we trust you received a word from god if you enjoyed this teaching be sure to subscribe to our podcast in itunes